One of the things I love about the gospel, what Jesus says about what he offers to us, is life to the full. And the reason I like that is because I think sometimes people get the impression that if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, then you'll end up with a mediocre life. It's as if Jesus said, I offer you a half full life or a quarter full life, life that's less to the, than the full. But actually what Jesus offers us is life to the full that's overflowing. It is to live your best life now as well as all that's promised in the future. Isn't that amazing? Some of you look a bit depressed this morning. I think you should cheer up. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been invited to experience life to the full. But here's the thing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because you've experienced his forgiveness, because the Holy Spirit has been poured into your life, and you are now following Jesus Christ, do you believe that what you are experiencing is life to the full? Some of you are saying, I'm going through a really hard time at the moment. Well, yes, you may be, because life to the full doesn't necessarily mean that you won't suffer, that you won't struggle. But anything less than to experience Jesus Christ is to experience less than your real life. The only way that we experience life to the full is in Jesus Christ. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life to the full. Now, some of you perhaps this morning thinking, I know that's what it says, but that's not what I feel, and actually I'm looking elsewhere. I'm not going to tell the person next to me. I may not even say that to myself too often, but I don't really believe that Jesus offers life to the full. We're going to look at a passage that gives us one of the ways that you can seriously derail your life as a follower of Jesus Christ and not experience life to the full. So why don't we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to inspire His Word to inspire us to find life in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You will take Your Word and You will write it into our hearts, not just something that we hear with our heads. But Father, please move our emotions, move our wills, move everything about us so that we grasp something this morning in our experience of what it means to live life to the full. One of the ways you can seriously derail your spiritual life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is about how you handle your money. How you handle your money. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it is amongst the most significant ways that we can derail our spiritual lives about how we handle our money. 
That's not the kind of thing that we often hear in church, is it? Because when we think about how can I make my spiritual life more mature, how can I be more consistent in following Jesus, we expect to hear things like, read your Bible more, great thing to do. If you're not reading your Bible, read your Bible. Pray a lot, great thing to do, really important to pray. Come to church, mixing with other Christians is fundamental. We're supposed to do the Christian life together, so keep meeting in the big groups like this and in your small groups and so on. Keep meeting with other Christians. Really important. But one of the critical factors in following Jesus is how you handle your money, how we deal with our affluence. The reason I say that's the most, amongst the most significant things is because we are amongst the most affluent people who have ever lived and this was a problem in the first century. So if it was a problem in the first century, which was nothing like as affluent as our culture, how much more of a problem do you think it is for us? And it is virtually impossible, virtually impossible, not to be so influenced by the way that our world handles money and affluence in our culture and end up having our Christian lives derailed, moving away from the life that God has planned for us in Jesus, which is life to the full. Do you notice what Jesus says in verse 13? You cannot serve God and money. Do you notice that's an absolute you cannot serve God and money. Jesus isn't here saying something as simplistic as money is a bad thing. He is talking about handling money, handling our wealth, handling our affluence in a way that mimics that of the world. You cannot use your money the way the world uses its money and follow Jesus Christ. You can't serve God and money. Verse 13, that's what he says. How you handle your money is critical to our spiritual health. So what does Jesus mean? What does this mean? What's it all about? Well, at the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus tells this utterly outrageous story. Uh, let me try and go through this so you just get the full force of it. Uh, Here's he a CFO of a major corporation. Because what Jesus is talking about in this story is obviously a big enterprise. It has lots of facets to it. It's, a, in our terms, a multi-million dollar industry, business. And here's this CFO or CEO. And for some reason, the owner has been away. He's been having a holiday in Bali and he's been enjoying himself. And so he's kind of lost track. Uh, there was no internet connection. And he comes back and something's not right. And he senses that the CFO has not just been mismanaging things, but actually, he's been running things to some extent for his own benefit. 
So he calls him in and says, you need to do some explaining to me. Monday morning, I want you in my office with an explanation. The CFO has a wonderful house overlooking the harbor. He has a great lifestyle. He has a marvelous house with a balcony up over Palm Beach, looking out over well, well Beach, looking out over there. He, he enjoys expensive holidays. He has status in the community. He is known as the CFO of this company. And so when he goes to the parties and he's asked, so what do you do? He says, well, what do you do? People look up to him. He's admired. He loves his lifestyle. And he thinks to himself, if I lose my job on Monday, which is what's going to happen, nobody's going to employ me. Because they'll realize I've messed up. Who wants to take on somebody who's got a dubious reputation? So he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? I don't want to lose my lifestyle. I don't want to lose my, my standing. And I don't really want to work <laughs> terribly hard. Except doing this. So he, he, he comes up with a plan. He calls in the major debtors of the company. And he sits the first guy down and says, how much do you owe? And the guy tells him, it's a huge, huge figure, millions of dollars. So he says, um, I'm going to do something for you. It's a once in a lifetime thing. What I want you to do on this piece of paper here, which I will sign I want you to reduce your debt by 50%. And the guy looks at him and says, you what? He said, I'm serious. He said, I like you. You're a great guy. And I know this is a really, really big debt that you owe, but I'm a generous guy. And so I have the power to do this because I'm the CFO and I have been given authorization. And whatever I sign off on, the boss will sign off on as well. Guaranteed. So, by the way, I realize it doesn't quite work like this in Australia. So just, just go with me. It's how it worked then. Just in case you thought I didn't know. So this guy reduces his debt by 50%. And CFO signs off on it. And he goes out a very happy man. But do you notice this? That man is now indebted to the CFO. If he's in need, the CFO in the future, he can call on that. Shrewd move, isn't it? Isn't that smart? And then he does it with somebody else, and the implication of the story is he does it with virtually everybody. That's outrageous, isn't it? Utterly outrageous. It is, as Jesus puts it, dishonest. But you notice the extraordinary thing in verse 8. When the boss finds out what he's done, not just that he's been mismanaging his funds, but what he's done subsequently, he realizes he's in a bind. He can't do anything about it. 
And this CFO has secured his future. And I guess through gritted teeth, he has to acknowledge, smart move, smart move. You have outwitted me at every possible point, and you guaranteed your financial future at my expense, and I can't do anything about it. Smart guy. Smart guy. Isn't that outrageous? <laughs> Isn't that thoroughly dishonest? unethical. What's Jesus' point? It's this. The way that the world handles money and wealth always has a corrupt side to it. It is always, to a greater or lesser degree, morally Corrupt. Some of you are saying that's completely outrageous. Graham, you really ought to get out more. It's not like that. Some of you work in finance. You say, ah, it's not like that. Well, uh, let me tell you, I didn't say it. Jesus is saying it. And that reaction of this is, Jesus, this is just too extreme. You just don't understand how things work. This isn't about dishonesty in the monetary system. It's about being shrewd. It's about being wise with your money. It's about working the system the best way you possibly can for yourself. That's exactly the response of the Pharisees. Do you notice who love money in verse 14? Do you notice what happens towards the end of this? The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. Jesus, we understand the financial system. We deal with it all the time. That's where we operate. Jesus' point is that there is something morally corrupt always about how the world deals with money. I think some of us have perhaps been distracted over recent months or weeks with the uh, same-sex marriage debate, and perhaps you've been preoccupied with that. Maybe you missed that in addition, on top of the release of the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers have now been released. Exposing how people generally, generally people with huge amounts of money, are able to employ very clever people, accountants and lawyers and the like, to show them how they can take their money offshore so they have to pay little or no tax. Is it legal? Probably. A lot of it. Does it work? Of course it does. Does it benefit them? That'd be ridiculous. Of course it does. Is it moral? Is it honorable? Or is it, to use the words of Jesus, dishonest? 
the world's way of handling money always has something of the morally corrupt about it. And it isn't just super rich people. That kind of thinking affects all of us. It is virtually impossible. I say virtually impossible. I'd really like to say it is impossible not to be influenced by the world's approach to money living in 21st century Sydney. And Jesus is saying, if we adopt the world's standards for handling our money, we will derail our spiritual life. You cannot serve God and money. You can't handle your money the way the world handles it and thrive spiritually. So here's the question. You're all burning to know what the answer is. How should we as followers of Jesus Christ handle our money? What's the principle? If we belong to the kingdom, what does it mean to handle our affluence differently? Well, look at verse 9. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What on earth does that mean? I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible and I read some things and I think, deep, spiritual. Stuff about eternal dwellings sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? And otherworldly and disembodied, and I have no idea what that means. So I'm sure it's profound, because Jesus said it. I have no idea what it means, so let's move on. Well, don't move on. Don't move on. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying a number of things. Number one, this life isn't all there is. Eternal dwellings. Money is going to pass as he goes on to talk about it. Remember, your money will not last and you can't take it with you or anything that you can achieve with it if you use it in the wrong way. Jesus is saying here in verse 9, you need to use your money in a way that's different from the way that the world handles its money because fundamentally, the way that the world handles money is self-centered. And your money has been entrusted to you to use for the kingdom, for others, to bless others. Jesus is not saying... You don't need to worry about the roof over your head. He is not saying you should never take a holiday. But he is saying your money has been entrusted to you. It is not your money. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it is not our money. It has been entrusted to us. Do you notice what he talks about in verse 10? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Verse 11, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Our money is a gift to us, and we are answerable to the one who has given 
us the money as to how we use it. It's not your money. And how we handle our money. Do you know it's only a minor responsibility that's being given to us? It's only a minor responsibility. It is our responsibility as to how we use our money. But it's, according to Jesus, it's amongst the least important, the least complex. Look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little, what's the very little? It's your money and mine. It's your affluence. Can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little, that is your money, will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, that is the little, who will entrust you with true riches, the really significant and important? And verse 12, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including your money and mine, who will give your property, your property of your own? Handling our money is amongst the least of our responsibilities. It is amongst the least onerous. That is such a shock to us, isn't it? Because for most of us, money is up there near the top. It's the thing that we worry about at night after relationships. It's the thing that we strive for. It's, it's so significant. And Jesus says it isn't. There are things that are far more important. But if you can't handle your money properly then you're going to miss out on the things really God really wants to do with your life. That's what he's saying. So Jesus promises life to the full. He has a purpose for us. He has responsibilities for us. He has things that he wants to give us in this life and use us in this life, and he has things for us in eternity, but if we can't handle the little things, that is our money. We shouldn't expect that he's going to bless us in other ways. How you handle your money, how we deal with our affluence is a major indicator of our spiritual health. And if we don't get it right, it can derail us. You can't serve God and money. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I didn't come to church for this this morning. I want you to be cheered up. Life's not going well. I've got struggles. I've got issues. I've got health issues. I've got emotional issues. I've got all kinds of things. I need cheering up. But do you remember what Jesus said? I've come that you might have life and life to the full. And sometimes to experience life to the full means we've got to deal with some pain. And one of the biggest issues that we face, so many of us, in our culture is about how we handle our money. It was true then. How much more is it true now? You can't serve God and money. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you notice Jesus is not saying that money is a bad thing? It's temporary. It's about how we use it. 
Followers of Jesus Christ are meant to use their money differently from the way that the world uses its money. I want to finish off with some practical things which I'll go through fairly quickly. I came out with that to watch this morning, so I have no idea what time is it. Somebody tell me what time it is, please. 10.21, okay. I'd like you to turn to this sheet here. It's called Your Money or Your Life. Uh, those of you who know anything of English history, there was a, an English highwayman, um, and he operated to the north of London in the 18th century. And as travelers were heading north from London, he would often waylay them in some dark lane as they're heading north, trees on either side, and he would emerge holding his pistol and say, your money or your life. But actually, the person who's addressing us this morning is Jesus. He's saying, there is a choice some of us have to make. It's between our money or our life. Life to the full comes through Jesus. Um, I want to go through some really practical things. They're very simple. Some of you may have heard similar things before. But let me just say two key things. Number one, decide to take control of your finances. Decide to take control of your finances. If you have a look at that box on page one, that's what it says, decide to take control. So many people have no control over their money. They may control all kinds of other things in their life, but actually their money is out of control. So assess the facts. So many people don't know where their money's going. They really don't. They get up in the morning and they go and have a coffee and they pay $4 or whatever it is, $4.50. And then they have another one the next day, and maybe they have one in the afternoon, and they, they, it's just coffee. But over the course of a year, you multiply that. That's an awful lot of money for some brown stuff. And I'm talking to myself, because you know I'm addicted to coffee. I've had four already this morning, which probably explains a lot. Some of you are going to start buying me decaffeinated stuff, aren't you? He needs to calm down. Not a chance. Anyway, do you know 38% of New South Wales households are insolvent? That means along the track they have made decisions where they've not assessed the facts. 38% insolvent. Assess the facts. Secondly, address your desires. When I was uh, younger, <laughs> which is quite a long time ago, I never had enough money. I, I just never had enough money. I, I, when I started earning, even though my income went up, I never had enough money. And I worked out eventually what the problem was. I had not addressed my desires. Because if I desired something, I think I need to acquire that. I might sometimes attempt to be shrewd and do a bit of saving up and so on. But I always found that my desires were greater than my ability to satisfy them. And I really realized that my desires were out of control. So deal with your desires. You might want to try a little exercise. Take a piece of paper. Uh, I write down two columns your current expenditure, and on the other side, you just put a column for luxuries. So write down all your expenditure. 
on the left-hand side. And you've got a blank column that says luxuries. Now imagine that your income falls by 50%. Work through your current expenditure and put out all the things that you would no longer spend your money on if your income fell by 50%. Put those in the luxuries column. And then suppose it fell by another 15% and keep going down. And when you finish the exercise, don't take it down to zero, by the way. That's another issue. When you've done all that, take a second piece of paper and reconsider your list of expenditure. Distinguish between luxuries and necessities. Our culture tells us what we should be buying and how our life will be better if we buy X, Y, or Z. People have paid vast amounts of money to convince us to buy things that in the end we don't actually need. I've said this to you before. One of the things that um, I think is a really good thing to do is called the act of sales resistance. Uh, for me, it means going into a bookshop. Uh, for some of you, it might mean, I don't know, going into a clothes store or something. I find this really, really hard because I love books. I don't always read them. I just like the look of them. So for me, the act of sales resistance is to go into a bookshop or look at something online. And I look at that and I think that's fantastic. But I have enough. I have enough. Distinguish between luxuries and necessities. Thirdly, draw up a budget. John Maxwell um, the management uh, leadership guy said a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. A budget is telling your money where to go rather than worrying where it went. Drop a budget. Four, get rid of debt. The Bible is very negative about debt as far as possible. Try and live debt free. And remember that credit means debt. A credit card is not people giving you money. Uh, for some of us, we need to, uh, some of you, uh, rethink retirement. The goal of life is not retirement. The Bible has no concept of retirement. Our life is given to us to be used in whatever capacity to follow Jesus Christ. Okay. So, number one, take control of your finances. And then if you just flip over, I'm almost done. It says, practical suggestions continued. Make a start. Do something. Do something. Make a decision having assessed your finances that you will do something. Uh, when Katrina and I, uh, look, uh, I'll explain later. When Katrina and I got married, we made a decision. And... Our decision when we first got married, uh, she was earning, I was at college, we didn't have a huge amount of money, um, but we made a decision that we would give 10% of our gross income away. And we would give that 10% to the church that we were part of at the time. That was a decision that we made. I don't think 
there are people who give far, far more than that. I, I use that as an illustration simply to say, do something. <coughs> Make a decision. We now give to other things and other people and so on, but that principle of 10% to the church that we go to from gross income, we've continued. That's us. You may be able to do far more than that. You may think that what we're doing is meager and, and not worthy. But just do something. Make a decision to do something. Secondly, begin where you are. If you're currently not giving very much, then the leap to what we do, for example, you, or somebody else, you look at that and you think, I couldn't possibly do that. Don't that, let that be an excuse to do nothing. Take the next step, a first step, a second step. And move, thirdly, towards generosity. The Bible doesn't say how much we are to give. It does say that we are to use our money, not in the world's way, but God's way, and we are to be generous. So what does generosity look like? I think this is the best gener- uh, definition of generosity I've come across. It's this. If you are giving generous, gener- if you are giving, and you think you're giving generously, and you don't miss what you're giving, you're probably not giving generously because generosity hurts. Generosity. We feel it. Move towards generosity. Jesus offers us life to the full. And if we're to experience life to the full, that includes how we use our money. Money is a spiritual issue. And it's a really significant spiritual issue, especially in Luke's gospel. You just read through Luke's gospel. There is so much that's about money. But remember, what Jesus offers us is life to the full. Now, as well as in the future. Let's pray. You'll be pleased to know I have absolutely no idea what any of you are thinking. Um, God knows, and I want to encourage us to be honest with God, which actually means being honest with ourselves because he actually knows what we think. Let's commit to being honest. Some of us may this morning be able to rejoice because the Lord has so blessed us that we're able to give generously. Some of us may be thinking, maybe there are things about how I handle my finances that are not right. They're not God-honoring. There are things I need to address. Some of you may not have the ability to control your money very much. Well, let's be honest. And let's make a decision that we will do everything we can to handle our finances, the blessings that God has given to us in all kinds of ways, but especially especially in our money, our affluence. Not as the world uses it, 
but as Jesus sees it. The Bible says those who honor God, he will honor. That includes how we use our money. Father, please, would you work in our hearts? Give us generous hearts. You have given us everything. Not just materially, but you have given us the person of Jesus. You've given us life. Life that begins now. Life to the full. And life in the future when the new creation comes. Father, please help us to reflect your generosity in the way we use our money. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.